1: I'm Katie Piper and welcome to my podcast, Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. Each episode, I'll meet an amazing person with an incredible story who faced adversity and came through the other side to inspire others. Today I am in the Bright's household because I am sat opposite Debbie Douglas. Debbie, as many people will know, is a TV personality. She's Lydia Bright's mum from TOWIE, but she's also a very extraordinary woman because she is a foster carer. Now, everybody um, will know who you are um, from the other role um, as a TV personality and Lydia's mum in yeah. Taiwan. And I suppose they'll think they know a lot about your life, um, but there's a whole other part of your life as a foster carer.
0: Yeah. I think um, most people that know me from The Only Way is Essex, Oz Towie, uh, think that Lydia is an only child. I and used to the think amount that. of people that I've met over the years that go, oh, is Lydia an only child? And I go, no, she's one of seven normally, sometimes eight. Oh, my God. Um, and it's really funny as well because growing up, Lydia's had over... 200 brothers and sisters really? um, because I started fostering when Lydia was about she's got to been about 18 months so she doesn't okay. know any different at all. So this has always been this way. So for Lydia it's always been a madhouse it's always been sharing everything in her life her mum and dad her bedroom her clothes her homework her her pets you know she's grown up like that she's grown up In a world where she's had to accept everything, um, she's very grounded. So did she accept it? Uh, uh, Well, saying that, actually, I'm funny you should say that, Katie, because I actually always thought that she did. And I remember when Mm. she was at primary school. um, And, you know, when you go around the halls and they have the children's work uh, on exhibition. So it was a poem by Lydia. Okay. So I thought, oh, anyway, so I stood in front of it and it said... The poem was called I Wish. Right. And it said, I wish there was no wars in the world. I wish that nobody died. (laughs) I wish that everybody had what they wanted, including puppies, because at the time she was into dogs. Right. Uh, Anyway, it went on and on. At the end it said, but most of all, I wished I was an only child. (laughs)
1: But do you know what? She wouldn't because it would be so lonely, wouldn't it? Like, that's the thing, yeah. How old was she at
0: that age? Uh, That's seven or eight she was at that age. So so at that point, I think I cried my eyes out in the playground thinking, oh, my God, she just wants to be an only child. Because Lydia actually, growing up, was very, very quiet. She was the quiet one of the family. We're a very loud, noisy, mad family. And, And Lydia always tended to be the quiet one. Yeah. Years and years went on and then when she was 16 she wrote a article for her GCSE English yeah. exams about how fostering had um, really impacted on her life. So and, was it negative? And, and it, was, it was absolutely hilarious on points. If I had six hours I'd sit and read it to you. <laughs> uh, but there was bits in it that I can tell you that I remember which was, you know, living in the chaos of the bright household and screams and tantrums and throwing of toys and, you know, how she wished at some points in her life that she could have silence and be an only child, you know, not being able to bring boyfriends home because they all thought, you know, she couldn't have a quiet... you know, watching a film with him in the telly because there'd be six kids climbing over (laughs) her head. Uh, But she ended it and at that point I also cried another time that I cried and I'm always crying, saying, but for the hundred negative things I can Mm -hmm. tell you about my life in fostering, there's a million positive ones to replace them. That's really astute for that age as well, isn't it? 16 she was. and Uh, And, you know, it was at that point that I just thought, you know, she is the person that she is today because of the childhood that she had. And you're teaching her about sacrifice and selflessness because actually
1: it's going to be hard. It's not going to be easy, but ultimately that's what we should strive to be, selfless, shouldn't we?
0: Definitely, you know, acceptance, Mm -hmm. because I think acceptance is a big word in society today. Mm -hmm. Um, And I struggled with that because, you know, when you take uh, children from all kinds of different backgrounds and all kinds of challenges. You know, yeah. you can't go into fostering thinking you're going to mould them into no. your a child like your child. It's not going to be rosy, because is it? even, you know, with my four birth children, they've all got unbelievably different personalities yeah. and different goals in life and, and, you know, and strive for different things. Yeah. Um, so it's about, you know, when these children do come into your home and you share your, your you know, your home, your love, your everything with them, it's about accepting them for who they are. All the
1: flaws that come and with it. And the flaws that yeah. come
0: with it. And, you know, I'm not saying it's been a bed of roses. It definitely yeah. hasn't. You can't go into fostering with rose-coloured glasses at all. But you're quite a realist, I think, though, yeah. aren't you? So uh, kind of... But, you know, the challenges that come with it... Why did you, in the beginning, open up your doors to these children? Um, What made you start? I was in a... um Uh, a cafe in Stoke Newington and um, how old were you then I was so I must have been about 32 maybe 33 So young, Uh, and there was a woman sitting next to me with like six kids and one wanted to go to the toilet it was a baby crying and she seemed she seemed like she was trying to juggle everything and I said oh don't worry I'll I'll watch him if you want to take the little one to the toilet I'll watch him And um, she went, oh, do you mind? I said, no, no, no I'm here. I've got my kids. Honestly, just, just take her to the toilet and I'll watch the kids. So she went, otherwise she would have had to take them all to the toilet. You had
1: three birth
0: kids. I so had two birth two, kids okay. at the time, um, my two oldest ones, Georgia and Lydia. And when she come back, I said, oh, are they all yours? She went, no, no, I have foster. I don't know her name. Right. Never, ever, oh, ever, really? ever, ever can remember a name. And she said to me, give me your number because they're really short of foster carers right. at the moment. So I said, okay, they're always short, by the way, of foster carers. Um, I gave her my phone number, carried on eating my dinner. She went, I said, oh, bye, nice to meet you. Because I do talk to everyone, Katie, yeah. like wherever I go. <laughs> Much annoyance to all my children who say I'm the most embarrassing mum in the world. Uh, and... Um, I think it was two days later, a social worker called me and said, oh, I heard you're interested in fostering. I'd completely forgot about it by then. Because you're so busy. Because yeah. I'm so busy. And actually, to tell you, I didn't even really know what fostering was about. The yeah. only thing that I heard about fostering, because we all lead these busy lives that we don't really know what's going on in society and mm-hmm. the world yeah. and just around us basically because yeah. this is things happening on your doorstep and back then we didn't have all the apps that we'd read the news no, we wouldn't know would no. we? and um, the only thing I had really touched on I heard of growing up with foster is my mum was sent away with her brother her younger brother in the war to be fostered Mm. in Wales but it was a she'd had a very very negative experience so when she talked about it it was like really with quite dark yeah like like she was used to cry and and talk about it and say she just wanted to come home to Mm. her mum um that really is the only thing I'd heard about fostering at that time so for me when they phoned I just went oh yeah I mean I, I am that is my character I don't Ever really overanalyze anything. You just embrace and it. I and I don't really. Look into things too much. Yeah. I, I sort of tend to jump in with two feet and normally come up smelling of roses. Because you're free spirited there. Do you think you're just kind <laughs> yeah, of. I yeah, I just think nothing ventured, nothing gained. And yeah. I'm all for like, uh, You know, I just think life is so precious and so sure mm-hmm. that yeah. if you don't follow a path, I'm a great believer as well, massive believer in fate. I yeah, think I, I everything yeah. in life happens for a reason. Yeah. And although at the time, especially if you're going through deep grief, mm-hmm. you don't realize why you're going through that years later you look back and you think that happened because of this to help you grow and and this happened because of that at the time you might not see it so I'm a great believer is I met that woman for a purpose. Yeah. It wasn't, a, it wasn't fluke a fluke accident. Yeah, I think you're right. That, you were guided to that that, point. that woman was meant to be sitting next to me mm-hmm. and I was meant to give her my number and this was the path that I was meant to take. So you go home, right, with this massive suggestion of a huge life change to this family. What
1: does your husband say? Because I know He said,
0: there's no way in a million years... I am going to foster, to which I replied, well, you know who wears the trousers in this house. (laughs)
1: This is exactly like my
0: relationship. If I say
1: anything to Richie
0: about this subject, he's like, we've got enough on our plate. I think, yeah, I think, yeah, he just, at the beginning, you know, when we, we discussed it, although he wasn't for it, you know, he said, no, we've got... You know, we're busy, we've got enough problems. It's a typical guy's
1: reaction, don't you think? Uh,
0: Yeah, um, you know, I'm working, like you're going to go back to work when the kids go to school. So we had a negotiation period where I said to him, okay, well, let's just do this for a couple of years mm. until the girls are old enough to go to school. So you're compromising. And then yeah. when they go to school, um, we can re-look at it. And then I went to him, actually, we might do it and we might have one placement, we might have one child come to live with us and actually think, it's not, ah, for, you. It's not for me. Yeah. But... Why don't we just try? You know, I'm very like that. Why don't, you know, anybody that says to me, oh, I'd quite like to do that. You know, nobody holds a gun to your head and says you've got to do this for 10 years or you don't have to sign any contract saying this is going to be your career for the next year. You know, you, you can try it and some people try it that I know I mean over the years I've encouraged lots of people to foster Mm -hmm. in fact I've lost count how many people that I've got to foster and some have literally done it for a year and gone actually it's not for me and And some have done it for you know five years and then gone back to work and gone well I've done five years but that's not for me and some have done it for a longer time you know so everybody's different uh, but for me I truly look back on the last Twenty-six years. How long it's been? Twenty-six years. God. Two hundred and odd children later, because I've lost count after about one hundred and eighty. I wouldn't have wanted to do anything else. Are they all still in touch? All those? No, not all no. of them. So when you foster, you know, I started fostering doing short-term fostering, which is, mm. as well, I'm still approved as a short-term. So, so could they call you at 1am? You can go like... on You can go on out of hours. So I did do a period where I was on out of hours. So you can get phone calls in the middle of the night. And did that happen to you? All the time. And you pick the children up from wherever they were. Why would were that like... happen
1: in the middle of the night then? So it, the it
0: could be all different cases. So it could It could be that the children are at police stations. Mm -hmm. It could be that they're at the home but, you know, there's been a family breakdown Mm -hmm. due to domestic violence, say. Mm -hmm. Uh, It could be that, um, you know the children are in an unsafe place so they need to get them yeah. out. Or they could be at hospital and you need to get them out of the hospital. There's such a wide variety of so you reasons. you could get a call at like 1am and you could potentially get
1: a child come that's quite angry or yeah. distressed. Yeah, yeah. Like that's a hard thing. It is
0: think. hard, it is hard. But you've always got to remember at that point that they're only children. Yeah. And also you've got to remember how you would feel mm-hmm. if you was that child in that position. That's what I try to think. And all children are very different as well in their reaction there's been some children when I've got there going come on we're going to go home now that they've been really happy to get in the car and just yeah. go to a, a, a you know a safe environment some children come you know kicking and crying some children come very quietly you so know, unpredictable. Don't it is like us you know children are all very very different right. so when I first started fostering I only fostered babies right. um and then I had a big period of my fostering life where I didn't you know take babies at all and I took a, a little baby from hospital right. uh, so she was newborn and then I newborn, had oh yeah my God. then I had her till she was about eight months right. and then she went to live with a family member right. um and I still remember her name. Obviously, I can't say her name for mm. confidence. And I remember what she looks like. And I remember, you know, the feeling of when she went. So you do know, you agree? Like, do you
1: feel like you've lost a, a daughter? Yeah,
0: you really do grieve. Yeah. I think nothing really prepares you for that. And it doesn't matter how much you think, well, this is only for... You're, you're, you you're. Know, I try to think of it as, you know, it's their, it's their little journey. It's their book, basically. It's their book, and I'm just a small chapter of their yeah. life. But I am a chapter, I know uh, a big chapter. And, uh, and you know, when they move on, there's lots of things that they're going to experience and do. And if there's one thing in their whole life that maybe they can remember that that I had an impact on them, mm. then that's better than nothing, yeah, at, nothing all. at all. Yeah, uh, but. You do grieve, you do grieve and you have to get you know, you have to prepare yourself for that. And you also have to let yourself go through that. I don't ever fight it. No. I'm a natural cryer. I cry at everything. But I it's cry, an outlet, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, and, and, and I spend my life crying, you know. But I, I don't, I'm not ashamed about crying. I cry in meetings. Yeah. I cry at hospitals. And, and, you know, they're used to seeing me crying. And, and I, sometimes I don't even just want an arm around me. I say it's going to be okay. Sometimes I just want to cry. To let that out, You yeah. know, and then... Is that why you stopped the babies then? Was it too... Emotional. Yeah, yeah, I stopped the babies for a quite considerable amount of years because it just was too too hard, you know. It Although is- we say that, you opened the door to me this morning with an eight-week-old baby <laughs> in your arms. <laughs> yeah, so-, <laughs> so I've gone back to doing babies. Why and have you gone back then? I just feel that... um I don't know. There's just some draw towards, you know, that that beginning of a baby's life and the impact you have on the first year of a baby's life is so amazing and it's such a privilege for me to be able to share that with them. I'm welling up now and i cry everything. Just to think that, like, I've been... Their foundations, mm-hmm. you know, that's.
1: And if you hadn't been there, what could have been is awful to be. Yeah, yeah, I mean,
0: you know, it's life's a lottery. Uh-huh. Life is a lottery. It's Did not, you have a good life growing up? Well, my childhood actually was a very. It, listen, I had a wonderful, massive family. I'm mm-hmm. Italian Irish background, so yeah. Irish mother side, Italian father side, but very volatile relationship. Um, what, the, violin, the Irish or... and Italian. Not so much violent, just lots of screaming and shouting and, and, you know, and doors banging and that one walking out, this one walking out. So it was no way an idyllic childhood. I didn't, you know, grow up in the countryside, skipping in the country lanes. I grew up in, you know, the east end of London. Things were hard. Mm -hmm. Money was tight. But I always knew that I had a, a big family, so... I had an escapism, so when I did want to get out or or, or want to escape for anything, I had an aunt to go to or a nan to go to. So you replicated the big family, but you've done it with stability and Yeah, I think I I actually did do some... I mean, I love writing. I do love writing. That's my little bit of release. I can sit and write for hours. And I remember writing something years and years ago. It's got to be 12, 15 years ago, because I was thinking... Why? Why? Because we've all got a purpose in life. Mm. Every single one of us have got a purpose, and I just wonder what draws me so much to that nurture inside. Mm. Because I could nurture anything, like yeah. a bird, just natural, a you? bird, or a snail, or a baby, or a kitten, or you know that. I just, I just love that part of my life. Yeah. And um, I looked back and because you were saying about childhood, and I felt like my dad when I was growing up was very broken. Right. He was um he was an italian um immigrant really uh, and in those days they called him wops so oh, really? do you okay. know what WAP no. means it means without papers ah okay so no. so he was really not accepted in the east end of london because yeah. he was known as a wop and yeah. an italian immigrant he had no papers um he was an illegitimate child of my grandmother who abandoned him really mm-hmm. in italy he didn't come over till he was in his early teens uh, so he he never really fitted in anywhere because being illegitimate you know how many years in the 50s because mm-hmm. he would be 80 now mm-hmm. you know he come from a village so his mum was banished from the village because she was pregnant, uh-huh. out of wedlock. He was left so with... A lot of rejection. Masses of rejection. Yeah. And later on in life, he did try and find his father who, who you know, denied that he was his father. So no so love there. And I think when he was in Italy, like my dad was very, like, when he was in Italy, he was known as the Englishman. Yeah. And when he was in England, he was known as the Italian or the WAP. Yeah. You know, so he never really belonged anywhere met my mum very young you know my mum mm-hmm. had children 16 18 and 21 mm-hmm. you know that she was a young I guess that young was mother very normal then wasn't very it? normal yeah. then but i think he thought that he would get some kind of he'd feel not wanted but he'd feel accepted within his own In family accept. which he wasn't really because my family were very like you know why have you got married why have you yeah. married him at 60 so, so, he, it still wasn't, wasn't he, so he still wasn't what he wanted so still wasn't what so And I was a real daddy's girl, you know, I could see no wrong in him at that Uh stage. Now I'm older, I mean, God rest my soul, his soul, my dad's dead now. But now I'm older, I look at the life my mum had and it was a tough, hard life. At the time I didn't, at the time I blamed my mum for his unhappiness and blamed my mum for not making him happy. So... I think probably if I look back on my life, that nurturing side come from a very, mm-hmm. very young age. And that long line. Yeah. And that, that that young age of wanting to fix my dad, mm. you know? And I never was able to fix my dad. No. And But I still go on trying to fix things. And this title, like mother, like, you know, you're a mother to lots of children. It doesn't just have
1: to be biological. Like someone once said to me, I was at this talk about mums, and they said uh, the role of a mother is to raise your child so they don't need you. And that is the ultimate selfless role. Like you shouldn't try and keep your children And ultimately, you're just borrowing them from from something else, you know, and letting them go. And I left the talk thinking, like, oh, my God, my kids are so so young. I love having them with me. And if they don't ever need me, I'll feel really sad. But that's a selfish thought, really, isn't it?
0: Yeah, and, uh, you know, that's why you get a lot of women and men and, you know, couples that when they do flee the nest, it's like, what do we do now? Right, yeah. You know, I read similar to that. It was, I can't remember what book, but it was a prophet. And he said, children come through us, but not from us. Yeah, I've had that. And, and it's a true saying, you know, it's a true saying. And if I look at all of the foster children that I've had over the years, and a lot of them, you know, I try to keep in touch with. Obviously, you can't keep in touch with all of yeah. them, but a lot of them are, you know, and how they've developed. Now, it's it's wonderful because... The older ones that are in their, like, late teens, 20s, who I fostered when they are younger, can tell me what I've done that made a difference. Really, that's so amazing. And for me, that's like that sort of things would it be that's giving me a million pounds you know that's like saying there's a million pounds that you can't buy that that's priceless so there was one girl in particular that I had on respite care what's
1: respite care
0: um so respite is she was with another foster carer who uh, was finding her quite hard to manage she did have quite Extreme challenging behaviours. She just, you know, wouldn't sleep. She, you know, she was just traumatised. Yeah, Yeah. traumatised. She was diagnosed with post traumatic stress at some point in her life. It's awful, um, not it, at yeah. that young age? And so I had her to start with on respite, like weekends, like every other weekend, just to give this foster care a little break. That must and then have been tough. It was tough. And in the end, this placement broke down, which I think they could foresee this happening. So, of course, I was the first port of call because mm-hmm. she'd already established a relationship with me. Um, and she came to live with me. I think By that time, she must have been five, six and she stayed with me for quite a considerable amount of years for short term placement it was like four years yeah. and then there was uh, this child went into like a therapeutic school you know mm-hmm. which means that she had to move for me because it was quite a considerable amount of distance was she upset to leave you then no not at that time because they do become quite detached you know because yeah it's a coping mechanism i mean now she she's an adult she can say yeah i was upset but then it was like she was quite happy to start a new adventure Mm -hmm. um anyway we kept a relationship going although it was sporadical um and then the next next time that I heard from her for quite a few years, it was a good few years was when she was in hospital in labor Oh my God, um, she oh, wow. said um uh, would you come i'm in labor i 'm on my own. I want you to be with me oh, she was on her own. and um I rushed to the hospital and um sat beside her and Helped her to push by screaming her, wow. and out come this beautiful baby girl who's now three, and I am um, her godmother, That's and I'm um, also her support. You know, yeah. whenever she needs me, how great she went to you and didn't feel ashamed
1: or worried to no, contact you. And, and
0: yeah. we often have lunch or chats on the phone, and she says to me all the time. I won't be the mother I am if I mm. hadn't had you. And that's the lottery you're talking about, the million pounds. Yeah. yeah and, that's amazing. and look, I'm crying even thinking because yeah. when she said it to me I cried my eyes yeah. out and I just said to her you know, I'm so proud of you. You've come a long, long way. Yeah. But, you know, when I see her with that baby girl and cuddling her and, you know, and taking her to the park and, you know, and drawing and colouring with her, they're all the things that I've done with her. Yeah,
1: and you've shown her how to love and, and a pure, innocent yeah. love. Yeah,
0: yeah. So there's lots of stories like that, lots of stories. There was another one. uh She came to me for about four or five years and... um she was quite quiet when she came to me how old was she so she was 6 7 when she came to me she was 11 when she she moved up mm-hmm. back to her stepfather and wherever i went She used to travel with me. So if we went to Italy, she'd come to Italy for six weeks with me in the summer. So she had four years of going to Italy for six weeks. If we went to Tenerife or wherever we went, because I got her a passport, she used to travel with me. And whenever she used to read or I'd take her to the library, we'd always get travel books and stuff like that and read about travel books. And now she's living in China. Oh, my goodness. And we often talk and she says to me that, there's no way she would have thought about travelling unless you'd inspired unless it. I'd inspired that from a very young age and and, and from there she's been China Japan, Thailand, oh. she phones me wherever she is, and um she you know she says all the time, if I hadn't have been placed with you and come mm-hmm. come to live with you the yearning to travel wouldn't have been there. It's such a big influence that you play on the the rest of that path. Yeah, because childhood is such a small part of our lives. Uh I mean, if you think of our whole lives, childhood is a significant small part of our lives. But it's where we do the most learning, and we need people the most, don't we? And we need people that, and we let, and we lead by example, mm-hmm. and we look up to people, you know, and we have role models. Yeah. And if I can be a role model for somebody, yeah, you, you can't buy that, can you?
1: No, it's amazing. I mean, it, it makes me feel proud, and I don't, I don't even know you well <laughs> enough to say I'm proud of you. But. Oh,
0: that's lovely. That <laughs> is really lovely. Has it ever gone horribly wrong? Oh, well, we've had, like, some really challenging times So Because you can't just sign up and
1: say, I want cute babies and no. I want people with no issues. No. You, know, you can't say that. And, and,
0: and, you know, if I can do a little bit on your podcast about promoting fostering, there's a huge, massive shortage for oh. teenage foster carers at the moment. So there's not really a shortage for baby carers mm-hmm. because everybody wants a baby. Right. Because... Again, we stereotype, don't mm-hmm. we? You know, we stereotype that all teenagers are going to be horrific mm. and, you know, and running wild in the streets and give you like sleepless nights. Yeah. You know, there's some that do, but listen that again is such an important part of their life they need somebody there to know that whatever they do you're going to still love them unconditionally and you do do teenagers don't you yeah you, you've got i've got teenager. two teenagers living here at the moment so i've got a 15 year old boy and a 14 year old girl are they siblings with are they? no no, no okay. different families and they come with their own challenges mm-hmm. you've got to have. Patience. you've got to be flexible, mm-hmm. you've got to you know, be understanding, all of those things, and there'll be lots of times that they will push every button that they possibly can. Of course, L- like your own children would. Like your yeah. own children. And let me tell you, my eldest child, Georgia, so if mm-hmm. she's listening to this, she can say it, she was the worst teenager <laughs> in the history of teenagers. Yeah. So, you know, I've been it. You're well it. prepared. <laughs> yeah, I've been for it with my children, you know, but... Listen, it's wonderful, and I can really, really say to everyone if you ha- think that you can do it, all of you, if you are even one little tiny bit interested, contact your local authorities mm-hmm. and say to them, you know, are they short of foster carers? Are they recruiting foster carers? What age group are they mm. looking at? Just pick up the phone and ask. Because for years, really, you've kept
1: it quite private. Like, it's not... Like, when you first joined TOWIE, was it 2010 you joined TOWIE?
0: Oh, it's eight years ago, so... Um, um, yeah. 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 That then? yeah, 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 that's
1: So right. eight years ago. Like, we never really knew about this part of your life. No. And you never mentioned it, not just on the show, but in interviews.
0: No. You know, I
1: mean, I, I knew a little bit from the local area that you did that, but not to the scale that no, you do. No,
0: no. I think as well, because, you know, you do have to be careful, because it is yeah. confidential information and you know i never released children's names mm-hmm. or, or or pictures you yeah. know anything like that what about when you first
1: ever started going on telly like did you get contact on social media from some of the kids going oh my
0: god you're my foster it, mom uh, yeah, and loads I'm, of them because they wouldn't have known you no. as a tv person no at all. no like, loads no. of them loads like, hang loads on a minute that's the woman that brought me up for like yeah, four yeah years, loads but. and loads of them contacted me through yeah. social media you know, even if they remembered, like maybe a couple of days they was with me. Yeah. You know, and and all of them said, you know, that they loved being here. I don't think I've ever. No, I don't think I have. I can honestly say my hand, that I've ever had anybody say, you know, that uh, that they wanted to leave. How know? do
1: you deal with the tough times, though? Because obviously, you've you've got a lot of love. You're naturally a yeah. nurturer. If the children project their anger at you even though it's not directly for you they've got you're the punch bag aren't you really how do you deal with the tough times
0: um you know it is hard it's very very hard I think you've just got to take a massive step back and you know you you do have to protect yourself as well Mm. because sometimes you know it does absolutely drain you so you do Mm. have to keep a piece for yourself. I think maybe that's been the art of me being able to do this for so long because I do still have my friends, I still Mm -hmm. socialise, I still go away for weekends. How do you get the time? You have to have a massive support network attached to you. Okay. So... And I don't think really you can do this single handed yeah because uh, it will drain you if if you have that, yeah. so you have to have that massive support network around you when I say massive, even if you 've got two or three people, yeah. you can rely on a hundred percent so sometimes in a situation with a teenager it's moments isn't it it's the it's those moments, and when you're at that heightened state because that's yeah. what you're at mm-hmm. and I myself get in that heightened state where you yeah. just want to go up, yeah. that? you know you can't reason with people because if I'm in that heightened state and they're in that heightened state or one of you in that state, you're not listening to anything I'm saying it's pointless. so yeah. sometimes it's just about removing yourself or removing the child mm-hmm. and just calming yourself down so mm-hmm. I've got two really good friends who live Five minutes from this house. Right, okay. So when I'm thinking back about how I've dealt with it, yeah. I'm, I'm just talking with pure honesty now, mm. I've gone, just get out of the house. Yeah, get, to, get yeah. out of the house, yeah. go for a walk and go to... Well, one in particular that I use is round the corner is Kim. So thank you, Kim, because you're wonderful. <laughs> uh, it's Kim the, Go to Kim's, and yeah. then I'll text Kim, and I say so and so is on the way round, and they're. Oh going she's like a secondary foster and mother. <laughs> slam the door, and the house feels like it's gonna like, fall down. Yeah, and and she go okay, and then she's prepared from when they get there, and by the time they've walked there, got some fresh air. She's, you know, makes them a cup of tea or milk and biscuits when she gets there yeah. or just leaves them because sometimes they just want to be left. Yeah. But they're still in a safe place. Yeah. And the next day things seem a lot different. Yeah, because you've got perspective, you've calmed down. Yeah, yeah, and I always say nothing in life is forever. Mm-hmm. And if you have that bit of space where you can calm down, you can you can look at things more logically, with fresh eyes. Uh, and if they don't get out of the house, sometimes it's just me that I'll go for a walk with the dogs. So I'll get the dogs' leads on and I go out because the there's another adult in the house, and I'll go out and I'm, you know and take a bit of fresh air. Over the years, I think I actually my own children tell me this that I've really mellowed over oh, really? the years, and I don't know whether that's a natural progression for mm-hmm. all people as they get older. Yeah, they just chill but, out. But for me personally, like whereas before, if I think about like maybe 10 years ago even I'd get a phone call from the school to say so and so's done this and so and so's done that and they've done this and they have broke this and this I'd put the phone down and think oh
1: here we go. And yeah. then
0: they'd walk in and I'd go, oh, I've had a phone call from the school, why have you done that? Yeah. I don't do that anymore. You're just more like blasé and relaxed. Uh, no, not or... really. I just think, well, it's done. Yeah. That's done. I you can't, can't I it. can't change that. So it's not yeah. like I can go, let's rewind the clock. How would you have done it? Like, mm. So when they come mm. in, they come in and I don't scream or shout. Mm-hmm. I don't even raise my voice. I just say, I've had a phone call from the school today, so you're not going to school for the next three days. So let's think about how we can stop this happening again. Mm-hmm. Um, and they won't want to talk about it then. A lot of the kids over the years, especially if I think of secondary school age, can write and draw things a lot more than they can verbalise mm-hmm. things. So always have paper, Art. you know, yeah. felt-tip pens, uh, you know, stuff that they can just draw and write things. And explore it at another time. So they can express you know, themselves. I think a lot of, uh, over the years, if I look back at my mistakes, and I've made huge mistakes in fostering, but we learn by our mistakes, mm-hmm. is that the timing has mm-hmm. to be right. You know, what is the point of screaming at a child when they come in from school if they've just been excluded for three them. days? Yeah. It's, make, it's not going to solve no, anything. There's no point whatsoever. It's not going to solve anything at all. So, Have you ever had a, God, I can't do this moment? Uh, Yeah, I have. I have had. I've had times where I have, I'm not going to lie, where I've just been exhausted. Uh, If I look back, one child in particular, uh, I mean, he was only quite young, so it was quite scary as well. So he was like nine, eight or nine, but he was quite... Small for his age as well, so he looked younger. You know, he kept absconding the whole time. Oh, that's scary. And when you don't know where a child is at that age, at twelve one o'clock in the morning, yeah. it's so just scary. Go out the front door. Yeah, and and you can't, you know, you can't. You when you you talk about foster care, it's your home. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's not a prison. cell or a prison. Yeah, they're not locked up. You know, yeah. you shouldn't want to live that. You're meant to live your life exactly how you would always live it. Yeah, so. I think at those points, I think at the points where I've been at my lowest is when I've thought, I can't keep this child safe. Mm-hmm. When you're exhausted all avenues uh-huh. and tried every support that you've got around you and, and you know, bless social services, you know, they're so sick and tired of me emailing and, <laughs> and texting them, do you know what I mean, because we have masses of communication. Yeah. And, you know, I must say... The social services are always amazing with me and give me masses of support. But when you've exhausted every avenue and you think, actually it's one in the morning and I'm driving around looking for this child and they're yeah. only six or seven and anything that's could happen so to him. Yeah. It's the scariest thing in the world. you know? And that's
1: being an honest good mother, isn't it? Putting your hand up and saying, actually, I don't know if I'm doing this right or if I'm the best person. Yeah. yeah. Because it would be worse to blindly just carry on,
0: wouldn't it? Carry on. And then, you know, something happens to that child because, yeah. you know, you are so, you know, it's like when you take your baby home from the hospital. And that's scary enough. <laughs> and that's scary enough. <laughs> yeah. You know, that like you're yeah. you get in the car you take anything god she's my responsibility yeah, now me. for life you know and i know that feeling of yeah. like not really sleeping and although they're yeah. sleeping you're watching to make sure they're the breathing world. you yeah. know the whole night you're and checking uh, them and checking yeah. them and you know putting your face near them you know that's overwhelming it's the same with fostering you know you have to love these children with all your heart and part of that is that you've got to keep them safe you've got yeah. to keep them from any harm because you know that one single thing that happens to you in your childhood mm-hmm. can have it, an takes impact your whole adult life. in yeah. the whole of your adult life so I'm there and it's a oof. big responsibility yeah. isn't it? no matter how temporary it
1: is yeah what does your future look like when do you intend to stop uh, if uh, ever I
0: think I'm going to stop when I wake up one morning and think I just haven't got the energy to do this any longer I can't see <laughs> you ever thinking well, that then. There, there has to come a day doesn't there there will be a day where I get up and you know there has to be a day that I get up and think. Actually, I haven't got the energy to do this anymore. And I think when that day comes, I shall sit and just write. Do you think I should foster? I think you would be an absolutely... Fantastic foster carer. I, and I to do it. I really mean that from the bottom of my heart. I think that you're, you know, you've gone through many, many life's experiences. You've faced your own challenges. Mm. My God, that would be a gift to any child.
1: Uh, do you know, I always think because I, I've, I've experienced not having a lot and then being really blessed and fortunate and having lots of things that people would want. And I always think it's your duty when you've, you know, like you said, you experienced growing up in a hard in, in hard times, and if you've experienced that and you know there's people that would die just to have a stable home a clean home a, a loving home then why not give it to them you know it kind of makes sense doesn't Ooh, it really? that when I talk to my husband about it he thinks it's it's too stressful oh, <laughs> 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 it's much but yeah, if I if I talk to my husband about fostering he thinks it's too stressful, too dangerous, we've got enough problems. And you think, actually, if you ever wait so your life is problem-free, it's never problem-free, It's free, never, it? ever perfect. It's like when people
0: say, when's the right time to get pregnant? You're like, guess what, never. <laughs> and you know, like, as well, it's like when people try and plan their whole lives out, you know, you they go, I'm going to get married at 30, I'm going to have a house at 40, children in my 30, you know listen, there's a very old saying I always say to my kids, you know, man makes plans and God laughs at them. Yes. You yeah. know, you, you, you've got to, I totally agree with you. I think embrace everything you've got and mm-hmm. share it. Yeah. Share it because, and for me, honestly, and hopefully every single one of my children would say that. So my children, my four birth children are now in their, two in their 20s, no, three in their 20s. Freddie will be twenty one in July, and then one at fifteen. So they're mm. all able to vocalise now. They're not babies, yeah. and every single one of my own children has said that they loved their childhood. Yeah, they loved growing Never up a dull moment. They <laughs> loved growing up with all of you know, like having loads of children random, and also yeah. sharing those children's experiences because. A lot of the time as well, children who care do not get recognised. I am a foster carer. Yes, I'm a foster mum. Dave's a foster dad. But my children are children who care. And most children who come into foster care do not ever trust adults. Yeah, so they probably go to the seedlings. They trust children. So from a very young age, all of my children have had to listen to problems and Mm -hmm. listen to people's lives, other children's lives, and realise how fortunate their life is. And also it really, really does ground them for, you know, how alcohol can destroy lives and and how drug addiction can just rip everything away from you. Mm -hmm. And if that isn't a lesson to learn, then and first hand like that not many people we learn it at school from books and
1: videos but they see it with their own eyes they see
0: it with their own eyes you know and uh, for them you know it's it's taught them many life's lessons way before their years Mm -hmm. you know they knew about alcohol and drug addiction when they was at primary school which
1: is rare you
0: know so for me I think they've had the best grounding Mm -hmm. any mum could ever give them
1: so what's your advice um, if you're the child
0: in the scenario of being put into care you know older children you know they they do they do get you know extremely angry and we can understand the reasons why you know I'd be angry about a lot of things that they've they've told me and disclosed to me over the years but you either let it destroy you or you carry on your life happily Mm -hmm. so many a times you know when I feel that I'm hitting my head against a brick wall with them I say listen You're not the first child to be taken into care and you definitely will not be the last. Mm -hmm. But you either put all of those negative things, you know, that you're talking about and those things that are destroying you in a box with a lid on, or you let it destroy the rest of your life. So you've got sometimes, you know you've got to be cruel to be kind because it sounds like
1: tough love but actually it's good advice yeah. because otherwise you like you said you just waste your life you
0: just waste your yeah. life going over everything that's happened in the past you know when you've got masses to look forward to in the, the, the present yeah you and know that and that future you know and and that moment as yeah. well it's not always about just you know the the past and the negativity. you know, put that in a box put a lid on it you know I hate to say this, but sometimes I think you know that like when you, you talk about therapy, sometimes it goes over and over and over things. And yeah. now Do I you talk, think it's not helpful. Uh, well, I speak a lot to a lot of these children, and please, all you therapists, don't write in saying, "Oh, you're wrong," of it. But I speak to a lot of these children who say it was so unhelpful because it, it it disables them to move on. Mm. You know, like I said, to you, I've had things go on in my life, but. Mm it it's made me the person i am mm-hmm. and it's made me stronger so it it's not only as well about the past and the future but it's also about the moment mm-hmm. and sometimes we don't we tend to not think actually look at this moment and i think actually whoever's
1: listening right now whether they um aren't considering fostering and haven't been affected by the care system at all that's sound advice for any aspect of our life yeah, really yeah. and we've all got the power to do it we
0: have all got the power to do it that's what I've done with a lot of the children so I get a shoe box or any box or a jar a lot of the time I get a jar wash the jars out and I say anything negative write it down on a piece of paper put it in the jar or the box mm-hmm. this year I've done the opposite so this year I've put because I think we tend to get to the end of the year especially me I think it's a state of mind I'm in at the moment because I didn't have a bad year last year but I've had three very close deaths over Christmas, which has affected me, which it would affect anyone. But I've got to start thinking about everything that was good last year. So what I've done is I've got a jar and then... I've put it at the side and i put 2019 and everything that's happy that's happened from 2019, I've written on a piece of paper and put it in the jar. So instead of the negative things, when I get to the end of 2019, I'm going to open the jar and think about all the good things that happened in yeah. 2019. That's it now, I'm
1: going to go home, I'm going to empty all the marmalade out into the sink, i have <laughs> got the jar start writing. My first one can be that i
0: got to sit down with you. Yeah, that's it, yeah, it's like you'll forget that memory. in like yeah. six months... And then you get to 2020, open your jar, tip it all on the table, put it on the table and think all what you've achieved in 2019. I think I'm going to do that. And do it with your kids, everybody. Yeah.
1: Well, I was going to end the podcast by asking you about what's your motto for life, but I feel like you've kind of answered it in... Early on, at the start of our chat, you talked about, you know, a child recognising the impact they had on you. For you, that's the equivalent of a million pound. And I suppose like an outsider, I mean, this is one of the reasons I think that me and my husband should foster. We have a lot of things, we're really fortunate. And from the outside, people might think, you know, Lydia's famous, you're famous, you're on telly, and that's some people's everything goal. No. And really, it's kind of like if you have opportunity and wealth, what's the point of any of it if you've got no one to share it with? Yeah. And you kind of really have already said that, in yeah. that all of that material stuff is purposeless if you don't fulfil a purpose and channel it into
0: something. Yeah, and, and you know, my life on TOWIE was a very, very small part of my life. Because you're not on it now, are you? No, no. Lydia and I come out of it in Series 20. Um, so that was a small part of my life. And, um, you know... Really, if I look back, I loved doing it. Yeah. And I, the reason I think I loved doing it is because I found a bit of Debbie again, didn't yeah. I? And well, we all loved watching it. And because you know. I could get up and do my hair and my makeup nice and, and, you know, and have a glass of wine with Carol and yeah. laugh about things. You know, I found a bit of Debbie yeah. in TOWIE, which was lovely. And also Lydia and I had some amazing times on TOWIE. You know, me and her laughed all you know, we wear our knickers, you know, or <laughs> cried, you know. Like, we look back with, with really fond memories. But yeah. it's not the be-all or end-all of my life, you know. Yeah. And I'm glad I had that time. But if I told you the most important thing in my life, it's family, friends and fostering. Yeah.
1: And it's, it's so true what you said about, you know, you believe in Uh, fate and you know making plans and and actually how the rich tapestry of life does kind of come together and i always think we are given certain lives for a reason and like now i would say the part of my life i'm in now i'm very lucky so it must have been for a reason to allow you to go and do other things that would benefit maybe somebody else who doesn't have that path quite yet that you're walking on yeah and it feels like that's what you're giving back Uh,
0: yeah i mean the the (sighs) I would say, and, and I really mean this, every child who has entered our family home, we have gained as much from them as they have from us. Yeah, They've taught us many things. Yeah. They've taught us about how they've overcome such sorrow and grief and, and you know, destruction and how, you know, they've thrived to be a better person. Yeah. And if a child can teach you that, then, you know there's a lot of adults that couldn't teach you that it's there? so true before yeah. I came here I left my house this morning
1: and it's an absolute mess right and my daughters woke up at five and I thought that was early and I thought I was tired and I thought I was busy I walked into your house with your <laughs> newborn foster baby you've teenagers you're working on your podcast The Brights as well yeah. you've got all your other kids and everything you're doing and I thought I felt a bit guilty <laughs> I am not that overrun I'm not that busy <laughs> it's not that tiring and it kind of fits
0: like, it into perspective yeah and, and I, I think, think I honestly yeah. do believe as well Energy produces energy. Yeah. And I think, you know, you go on overdraft and you carry on. You and, just get and, it and, done. and I don't, you know, I believe that life's for living, you yeah. know, and, and I try and fill every minute in the day <laughs> up, you know, like I had an hour before you come. So I fed the baby, you know, bathed the baby, had an hour before you come. And, and uh, David took the dogs out for a walk, Freddie's on the computer. And I thought, oh, I'd do a big minestrone soup for tonight. So oh, the I kids even have got a soup. Food. They're not even living on <laughs> pot noodles in this house. <laughs>
1: and if, if people want to know more about your family they can listen to your podcast can't yeah they? And yeah that, that's the bright yeah we're yeah. really
0: enjoying doing that because that is a we're, we gets us all together yeah and uh and we all argue and <laughs> scream and shout and life. laugh and but also it makes us all catch up on yeah. what the other one's doing because we're all very busy you know yeah. so it's nice to to keep my little heart inside all of theirs yeah. and, and not let them go we was talking about letting them go but you know at that part, that part of my life is when we're all together and talking about what we're all doing you know and it's lovely I, it's I really enjoy doing it it's funny we've touched on fostering within yeah. my podcast yeah so we touched on it where uh, one of the babies moved and we literally was all crying in oh the podcast God. yeah and and so we've touched on you know there's there's times where we're crying there's times we're laughing there's times we're screaming and shouting at each other <laughs> but it's but, authentic though isn't it, it all but that's across. that's my family yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah.
1: so you can get that wherever you listen to your podcast Yeah. well thank you so much for coming oh, on mine. and the
0: next time I hear you or I see you I want to see you with a foster with a child baby. yeah yeah or a, child, or a teenager you could be husband? walking down with a yeah. teenager why not yeah. but tell your husband that nothing ventured nothing gained yeah. so go for so it so that's a good motto isn't it yeah nothing Nothing,
1: nothing, nothing gained. <laughs> well, thank you so much. I'm sure everybody that's listening uh, will agree that you're an extraordinary woman. In fact, that title doesn't even do you justice. Oh, so it's lovely you. to talk to I you. Do, thank you. Thanks for listening to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.